chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. And you can find this on page 1161 of the Pew Bibles or 1841 of the large print Bibles. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Sandy, for reading that. So I've got a question as we get going tonight. When was the last time you were offended? When was the last time you were offended? Um, a little while ago, I was in the school playground at one of my boys' schools, and I spotted a couple of mums who've got boys the same age as one of mine. So I thought, oh, I'll go and have a chat with them. So I went over, having a little chat. A couple of minutes later, one of the mums goes, Bex, I'm really sorry, but we're just going to finish the conversation we were having before you came up. And they walked over here and carried on talking. And I was left like, okay. <laughs> I was so hurt and so angry. And I honestly felt like I was back at school and nobody wanted to play with me. <laughs> Has, have you experienced that feeling? Yeah, it was just me then. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you that story because... Tonight, I want to talk about forgiveness, and I want to explore some of those questions around forgiveness. You know, what does God have to say about it? What does it actually mean? How can we forgive practically? And why can it be so hard? So my first point today, or oh, before I go, I just want the, this slide, I really like this slide when I found this, because forgiveness is messy, and I like that slide because it's beautiful, but it's messy, and I think that's what forgiveness is like. So my first point today is that God calls us to forgive. So I've got a slide for this one. God calls us to forgive. And that's really challenging. You know, when those mums were mean to me, I really didn't feel like forgiving them. But God calls us to forgive. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, which today's passage was from, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, encouraging them to live out the new life that Jesus has given them. And I love the message version of this reading, so I'm going to quote from that quite a lot tonight. Verses 17 to 19 say this, Anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start and is created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Don't, don't you think we should reintroduce that word into the English language a bit more, burgeons? I think we should try and use it this week. 
Look at this. Look at it. All this comes from the God who has settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. So Paul sees coming to faith in God as living out a totally new life, leaving the old one behind, a life where we are forgiven and reconciled to God and where we forgive and reconcile ourselves to other people in our lives, life that is characterized by healthy, forgiven and forgiving relationships. We're called to forgive. This call to live a life of forgiveness is evident throughout the Bible, isn't it? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. And at times, this call is really incredibly challenging. Matthew 6.14-15 For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I'd love to ask a bit of a big question um, of us tonight, and that is, who is the one person that God is calling you to forgive at the moment in your life? Who has offended you? Now, it could be something small, it could be something big. The truth is, God asks us to forgive both. And I'd love you just to keep that answer in your mind, keep that person in your mind as we carry on, because God calls us to forgive. My second point is that forgiveness can be hard. Here's a picture. That's me. Do I really have to forgive? (laughs) Does anyone else feel like that sometimes? Hands up if you have ever found it hard to forgive someone. Yeah, okay. And those people who didn't put their hands up, I want to know how you do that. (laughs) That's amazing. I think it can be really, really hard. Because it's painful, because someone has hurt us and we are offended. And sometimes there is no justice. I don't know if you picked up the story in the news the week before last about um, two people, Thordis Alva and Tom Stranger. Here's a picture of them. Tom was an Australian visiting um, a student on an exchange programme visiting Iceland where he met Thordis. At the time, they were 18 and 16, so they started dating. And then there was a school ball, and on the night of the school ball, Thordis... Sorry, Tom raped Thordis. They hadn't had a sexual relationship up to this point. She didn't report the crime at the time, and that was the end of it. Um, But then, nine years later, she wrote to him. And this began an eight-year correspondence between them and an eight-year journey of forgiveness. So in total, 20 20 years later, a 20-year process of reconciliation. And Tom and Thordis have done a TED Talk together, talking about forgiveness. And they've also written a book called Our Story of Rape and Reconciliation. So forgiveness can be incredibly hard. I think at this point it's worth acknowledging that there are, of course, um, a range of ranges of forgiveness, if you like, from those things that are um, sort of easier to forgive, and that can just be the daily challenges of, you know, interacting with other people. If you're sharing a flat and someone finishes the milk and doesn't replace it, how annoying is that? Or the challenges of family life. So in our house, it's where the heck is the remote control? Who's hiding it? <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to that. Or at work, there's always the colleague who steals your stapler, Janie Cronin. Uh, Sorry, (laughs) didn't mean to say that out loud. (laughs) I do forgive you. Um, (laughs) But today I want to talk about the hard stuff, the big forgiveness challenges, like the story of Thordis and Tom. 
And in the news this week, we had the death of Martin McGuinness on Monday, didn't we? Which would have brought up all sorts of forgiveness questions around his previous violence with the IRA. And then, of course, on Wednesday, Mike um, mentioned that earlier in the prayers, the terrible terror attack in Westminster in London. And horrific events like this pose difficult questions for us around forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness can be hard. Um, In the sort of couple of verses before the passage we heard read today, Paul talks about living a new life of reconciliation. Verse 15 describes this new life as a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. But living a new life can be hard, can't it? It's hard creating a new life. Um, Hands up if you've ever moved from town to town or city or village or country that's quite a lot of us. And that's quite hard, isn't it? Because when you move, all the things you take for granted, all the things you do without thinking, you have to think about and work out. Like, where, you know, where do things happen? How do things work? They can be really different in different places. In the previous verse Paul speaks of, he talks about our firm decision to work from this focus center towards a new life is what he's talking about. The focus center is that Jesus died for us all. But it's a firm decision, firm implying that it takes strength and determination. And it's work. It's not something that just happens. It's intentional. And it needs focus. But what does forgiveness actually mean? I think um, one of the issues around forgiveness is that there are so many misconceptions around what it actually means. So um, I've come up with this definition. And there's a slide for it. Forgiveness means recognizing the wrong done to us, acknowledging the pain and hurt it has caused, but choosing to let go of anger and resentment and our right to seek vengeance. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness means recognizing the wrong done to us, acknowledging the pain and hurt it has caused, but choosing to let go of anger and resentment and our right to seek vengeance. So forgiveness does not mean condoning, excusing, glossing over, or justifying the offense done to us. Forgiveness does not mean denying the offender responsibility and justice. In fact, what I love about forgiveness is that it it creates space for real justice to happen because um, revenge is out of the picture. Forgiveness does not mean weakness. It takes strength and courage to forgive. Indira Gandhi said, forgiveness is a virtue of the brave. And forgiveness does not mean a quick fix. Forgiveness is a journey. It's um, a process that requires commitment and time and energy. And it can take many cycles of remembering, many cycles of memories, many cycles of grief before we can get to that place of true forgiveness. So my second point is that forgiveness can be hard. God calls us to forgive but it can be hard. Three, why then does God call us to forgive? I like that picture. We're called to forgive as God forgives us in response to all that God has done to reconcile us to himself as part of the new life he offers. I've got a little picture here. It's like he's passing on the baton of forgiveness. Now, I don't know how you feel about being forgiven by God, But I think many people, whether they're people of faith or not, really don't feel the need for God's forgiveness. I mean, most of us haven't killed someone after all. Most of us are pretty good people most of the time. We we struggle with this idea. 
But the author C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And the Scottish theologian P.T. Forsyth talks about recognizing the despair of guilt in order to appreciate the breathless wonder of forgiveness. Now, I don't know where you're at with this, but if I'm being really honest, I don't often feel that I have something inexcusable to be forgiven for. I don't know if anyone relates to that. Um, I'm part of the chaplaincy team um, in a prison, and we run a course on forgiveness sometimes. And um, in the last one I was doing, one of the prisoners said to me, just so I'm clear here, I'm not sorry for my crime. I don't need forgiveness. I don't care. I'd do it again, and I just want to get out of here so I can get my revenge. I thought, okay, yep, that's pretty clear. <laughs> um, but I was also thinking, how can she not be sorry? How can she not realize any need for forgiveness? But then I went away, and I started thinking about this, and I thought, well, could it be that actually this is, this is what God thinks when he looks on us? Does he ask the same question of us? Not because he's a mean judge ready to throw us in the eternal pit, but because he is perfect and our imperfections, such as our lack of remorse or lack of forgiveness, get in the way of experiencing the fullness of his perfect love, his perfect grace, his perfect forgiveness, his perfect justice. Jesus died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to deal with our imperfections, the consequences of our imperfections perfections and the consequences of our gracelessness so that if we were withholding forgiveness or um, we were showing a lack of remorse for something that he could forgive that and we could enjoy the fullness of God's um, love for us verse 21 says God put the wrong on Christ, who never did anything wrong, so that we could be put right with God. So I'd love to just ask this question. Have we become desensitized to all that God has forgiven us for? And I think it's good to remember that forgiveness for God wasn't easy. It was hard for him, like it's hard for us. He gave his only son. He sacrificed his son in order to forgive and I think in church, we um, often forget this truth. So when we come into relationship with God and we're forgiven, sorry, we are forgiven and we are offered new life. And out of that new life, God calls us to forgive. And if we don't forgive, unforgiveness can ruin our life. This little guy gets too much time in us. I don't know if anyone's seen this film. It's about the inner emotional life of a 12-year-old girl. And this character is called um, is, is Anger. He's a personification of anger. And if you look closely, his hair is actually fire. And I like that image. When I was at school, I had a teacher who was jilted at the altar, which is absolutely awful, I can't imagine. Now, she found it impossible to get over and couldn't forgive the man she was engaged to. And years later, which is when she was teaching me, she was known for being bitter and mean and cynical. Her unforgiveness was destroying her future as well as her present. And the truth is that we are all broken. We are all vulnerable. We are all flawed. We're all fragile. 
we are all capable of thoughtlessness and cruelty. And so we will hurt each other unintentionally and at times intentionally. But if we hold on to anger and hurt and resentment indefinitely, we'll find that the person it hurts most is us. Unforgiveness tethers us to our past hurts like a bird with clipped wings. And this can allow the hurt to become part of our identity as it did with my teacher. I love this quote on unforgiveness. I've got this one on a slide. Holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Have you heard that quote before? It's a great quote. And I like it because it highlights the fact that it's, we need to forgive not um, often because the other person deserves our forgiveness, but for our own peace of mind and for our own future. Thordis Elva, the Icelandic rape victim, said this, People somehow think you're giving the perpetrator something when you forgive, but in my view, it is the complete polar opposite. Forgiving was for me so that I could let go of the self-blame and shame that I had wrongfully shouldered, that were corroding me and basically ruining my life. It's a powerful quote, isn't it? Um, I think most of you know that last year Mike and I went to Rwanda and on, on our trip we met some genocide survivors and one woman we met had witnessed the killing of her whole family by a machete attack. When I was talking to her about forgiveness, she said to me, if I didn't forgive, I would lose my life twice. If I didn't forgive, I would lose my life twice. She now lives next door to the man who carried out the massacre of her family and her children are friends with his children. Isn't that extraordinary? The other thing is that pain and hurt are tiring. They take up emotional energy and huge amounts of space in our thought life. And let's not forget that the devil is really happy for us to ruin our lives in this. As long as we're stuck in unforgiveness and focusing on hurts that have been done to us, the more effective we will be in our faith and in our Christian life and in all that God has for us. So let's not underestimate the spiritual element to forgiveness as well. When we forgive, we take back control of our life, we take back control of our feelings. Forgiveness actually brings freedom. And that's why I picked that picture of the woman riding the bike with no hands. I just love that picture of freedom. So we're called to forgive sorry we're called to forgive because we're forgiven ourselves and unforgiveness will ruin our lives but practically how do we forgive well I've got six tips that I hope might be useful today I don't want the whole process to sound simplistic because this is a journey it does take time it does take effort we can take a long time to go through different steps but anyway here are some tips the first thing I'd love to encourage us to do is to start the journey. Forgiveness is a choice. Even if the person who's hurt us is not at all sorry, it's up to us to choose to start the journey. We need to make a deliberate, conscious decision, and then we need to keep on making it. It's not a one-off decision. Secondly, we need to ask for God's power. By the Holy Spirit, God can heal us. He can give us strength to forgive. His Spirit will lead and guide us in that journey, and he'll comfort us. We're not meant to do this alone. Thirdly, tell the story. It's really important to articulate what has happened. Now, this might be to a friend that you trust. It might be to a life group. 
Or you might want to just write it down in a letter that you don't send, one of those kind of things. It's really helpful to acknowledge the harm that has happened. You can't change it, but it did happen. Fourthly, name the hurt. Again, it's often hard to articulate why what has happened to us is painful, but when we give voice to the pain, we can begin to heal it. So share your sorrows, share your pains, your griefs, your hurt. And remember that no feeling is bad or invalid or wrong. The grief process is integral for coming to terms with pain or loss or the what might have beens. Fifthly, and this is the really tough one, is grant forgiveness. Choosing to forgive moves us from a place of victimhood to a place of strength. We can forgive because we recognize that we are all broken. We have a shared humanity and we're all flawed. As I said earlier, we're all capable of thoughtlessness and cruelty, but we are all more than the worst thing we have ever done in our lives. And we are all capable of great strength and great graciousness. Don't doubt that. Sixthly and lastly, renew or release the relationship. I think it's okay to give ourselves permission to let some relationships go. And in some cases, it's really appropriate because continuing that relationship may be harmful. Or a relationship may also be renewed. For example, if your husband or wife apologizes to you because they've been late or they've yelled at you over something, you might forgive them and then you renew your relationship and move on. But when it's a big thing, the renewal is slightly different. It doesn't mean it continues exactly as it was before, because that hurt can run deep. But a new one can be created. God is redemptive. And out of our suffering, the relationship may become stronger as a result. So those are my six tips. I think it's worth saying, just as I'm finishing, that when you've forgiven someone completely and healthily, it is still possible to experience negative feelings towards them or about the situation. I had a fantastic counselor once who described these recurrent feelings as echoes. Echoes are a close parallel or imitation of something, but they're not the real thing. So echoes of pain usually lack the sharp intensity of the initial hurt, but remind us of it. And naming them as echoes is actually powerful because it takes the sting out of the feeling. It reduces the power and allows us to move forward. And echoes become fainter and fainter over time, don't they? I don't know if you find that helpful, but um, for me, that's been really helpful in my life. So as I finish, I would love to encourage us to be people who respond to God's call to forgiveness. Let's acknowledge that forgiveness is hard, but that it's worth pursuing in response to the new life that God's given us by his spirit, and because we don't want unforgiveness to ruin our lives. And let's build a church that recognizes each other's humanity, a church that is loving, that is forgiving, that is gracious, and a church that extends the, this new life beyond our walls. Amen.